Welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Mary Stone here with my co-host Kate Price-McCarthy. Hello Kate. Hi Mary. I'm delighted to be introducing our fourth full-length podcast, which this time comes from Ringwood Library, right on the edge of the New Forest. We've been supplementing our full-length podcast with a few mini-podcasts and even a children's special over the summer holidays. Look out for them if you haven't already taken a listen. Talking of our children's specials, a hearty well done to the 26,000 children who took part in Hampshire Library's Summer Reading Challenge this year. That is an incredible number. Anyway, on to today's podcast, which we're starting with guest author Tracy Chevalier, who will be talking to us about her latest book. And then we'll be talking to staff here at the library who've got book recommendations they'd like to share. This episode's title is inspired by Tracy's book, A Single Thread, which is set in and around Winchester Cathedral in the early 1930s. It shows the challenges faced by single women, or surplus women as they were termed at the time, charming. I know. (laughs) Who were trying to make a living and to be independent. Shocking. Tracy is the author of 10 novels, including the hugely successful Girl with a Pearl Earring, which has sold over 5 million copies, and was made into the famous film, of course, starring Hampshire's own Colin Firth and Scarlett Johansson. Tracy was born in Washington, DC, but moved to England in her 20s and has stayed here ever since. She's always been fascinated by cathedrals and decided to centre her latest novel on Winchester Cathedral, as well as on embroidery, bell ringing and an irrepressible heroine. Let's hear what Tracy had to say when you met up with her at Winchester Cathedral. Uh, First, we're going to hear a short reading from her new novel. One evening after work, Violet sat in the cathedral presbytery, inspecting a kneeler to see how the broderer had blended the blues and considering how to do the same with the yellows and the borders she was working on. As she pulled at the stitches, someone took the seat next to her. She was startled to find it was Louisa Pestle and let out a little yelp, then apologized. Miss Pestle smiled. I like to come here sometimes just to sit and look. Violet nodded. It felt like having a member of the royal family choose to sit by her, the one wearing a brown turban trimmed with a tuft of feathers. Sometimes I wonder if we couldn't use even more color here. It's so dark, especially in the choir stalls. Miss Pezzle nodded at the wood stalls to their left. The stone and wood just soak it up, even the mustard yellow some are complaining about. People are complaining? Oh, yes. Miss Pestle's laugh was like a low bell ringing through the presbytery. They say it's vulgar and inappropriate in a religious setting. Have you always embroidered? Since I was a girl, yes. And then I taught it, here and abroad, and that rather set me on the path for life. During the war, I taught embroidery to convalescent soldiers. Do you know, Miss Miss Speedwell, Sewing can be so therapeutic when one has had trauma. The bold colors and the repetition of simple stitches had such a soothing effect on the men. There is something about creating a thing of beauty that worked wonders on their nerves. I was very pleased with the results. She nodded at the kneeler in Violet's lap. 
Which pattern are you working on over the summer? Oh, I'm not making a kneeler. Mrs. Biggins has assigned me to make borders for the cushions, lengths and lengths of borders. Would you like to make a kneeler? I would. I'm curious, Miss Speedwell, why? There will be over 300 kneelers, so yours would get lost in the crowd, whereas there will be far fewer cushions, and they'll be very striking. And the borders, of course, will be essential to make them three-dimensional. There's no shame in sewing borders. I know, it's just... Violet stopped. You want to make something wholly yours that will be seen properly and, and used. Yes, I suppose I'm looking to start again here. Violet glanced around at the high stone walls and the vast space above them. But a cathedral is overwhelming, spiritually as well as physically. I, I thought if there was one small part of me here, that might help. A contribution that would make me feel connected and something I could actually use or that others could use. A border of a cushion is not quite the same as a kneeler. Miss Pestle nodded. What you say reminds me of the many people I see who come here and light a candle. That one flame in the great expanse of the cathedral, they look at it, come back to it. It is theirs. Yes, but a kneeler lasts longer than a candle. Indeed. All right, then. Miss Pezzle stood and gestured at the kneelers on the chairs around them. Choose the design you would like to make. And normally, when, we, when I talk to an author, I say, right, we want to have a really quiet room. No echoes, which really distract. <laughs> but um, we're really, we've got the opposite here because we are in the vast Winchester Cathedral. But um, it's for the very best reasons because I felt that the cathedral was almost one of the characters in the story. And uh, you've obviously spent a lot of time here. I have, yes. I, um, I wandered around quite a lot um, over the course of the last three years soaking in the atmosphere, finding out about details, finding about history, taking tours, going up into the bell chamber, um, all sorts of things. And I feel I, I do know it well. Yeah. And it's, it's got its own unique atmosphere. I mean, I think cathedrals are very different, uh, are, are very, you feel the same thing when you go in often, but each one has its unique character. And could you tell us a bit about the story about this, your latest book? Yes, it's set in uh, from 1932 to 34, and it's about a woman named Violet Speedwell, who's 38 years old, unmarried, and that's important. Uh, she lost her fiance in World War I and has been living with her parents in Southampton. And after her father dies, she decides she's getting fed up with her overbearing mother. And she thinks, I've got to get a life for myself. Um, at that time, unmarried women were, there was very few options. You could be a teacher, a nurse, a typist, and Violet is a typist, and she gets a job at an insurance company in Winchester. And one day she goes in to the cathedral choir, and she comes upon a service, and it turns out to be a service blessing some embroidered kneelers that have been made by a group of women. 
And she slowly gets drawn into this group and begins doing embroidery herself and opens up her life um, to both the cathedral, to the city, and to the many characters who she discovers finding, making their own lives. Mm. And I know that often with you, it's the research that will start off a book, your thinking process. So can you remember what the first bit of research was that you... Yes, I, um, I knew I wanted to write a cathedral novel because I love cathedrals. And I was trying to figure out which cathedral. And I had been to Winchester a couple of times and I remembered that there were really interesting stories attached to the cathedral concerning Oliver Cromwell's soldiers and the Great West Wall, uh, Great West Window being broken, about William Walker, the diver in the 20th mm. century who, who dived under and shored up the foundations. Jane Austen is buried here. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll do one of those. So there were all these different stories that I could make into a novel easily. Uh, so I had a look around. And then I came in, uh, upon a display of about the embroiders of Winchester mm. Cathedral and how in the early 1930s, a group of volunteer women made hundreds of cushions and kneelers for the choir stalls that are still in use. And there was just something about them that really appealed to me. And I thought, I wonder what it was like to be in that group. I want to write about them. So that was the, the spark that I had. And you've talked before about getting your hands dirty when you do research. Mm. So is there a sampler of needlepoint that you've... I have one in my bag. <laughs> Funny you should ask. I knew somebody would ask at some point. So in the book, at one point, Violet makes... Um, it, the embroidery they do is called canvas embroidery and it, it's basically needlepoint mm. and at one point Violet has really gotten into it and she makes a spectacles case for her mother for Christmas and her, for her birthday and her mother just kind of drops mm. it on the ground and that's I made oh, the, um, wow. the needle case myself it's beautiful and it's yeah. got uh, colors of uh, it's sort of purple and, and yeah oh yes and purple and yeah pink yeah. and um, and, blue. and using I'm trying to remember the rice stitch is it is yeah that that, oh, well done yes you've been and, and then I added <laughs> I some other stitches this is Florentine mm. and this is yeah. Hungarian diamonds but I fiddled around with them um, and then there's long arm cross along beautiful. there and then I made it um, a needle case. Oh. She makes a needle case for her for her uh, niece, mm. Marjorie, and this is the needle case yes. she makes for and her. And uh, I Marjorie's use it needle case becomes a central part. Yeah, of the yeah, it does. And so I I wanted to make them so that I would be able to um, describe more accurately yeah. how it's done. Yeah, and get a sense of the the feel of them. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm. And I'm fascinated by your um, your writing process. The fact that you write longhand with a disposable fountain pen, and that I understand you have a different notebook for each story, that would be each book that you write. Did you have a special notebook for a single thread? I, I had a notebook, it wasn't special. Um, usually, I used to sort of try to find a, find yeah. a themed notebook, um, but for some reason I started the research at a time when I didn't have a chance to go out and find one, so I just looked in my cupboard of notebooks, because I often get them. And I, I used a, a, a kind of turquoise colored one, oh. but it, it doesn't really have anything to do with it, sadly. But maybe yeah, next no time. Yeah, no needle point on it. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you talk a bit uh, about how it's 
quite hard it is to write about historical societal injustices without trying to kind of redress them yourself. And there were su several instances in this book, particularly when she's talking to her boss or at the time when the doctor is almost refusing to talk, the mother's doctor is almost refusing to talk to her rather than the head of the household. And it's quite difficult to rein in our own modern there was a lot of casual sexism at the time. Um, women had very little socioeconomic or political power, and um, this came out in day-to-day -day contact. So, for instance, Violet works as a typist in an insurance company with two young women, and um, the assumption is the moment you, do, you marry, you don't work anymore. Um, so you, you leave your job, and it, it's not law but n nobody would stay on to work, and mm. it would be a shock if you did. And, um, and also, they're, they're paid less, and uh, they're not meant to ask for more money or more power or, or have any ideas of their own. So her boss, Violet's boss, is a bit astonished when she does suggest some time-saving measures. And he says, oh, well, I'll, I'll ask the up hires up, but let it come from me. It's going to be my... Let it be my idea, because it, won't, it wouldn't do to have a girl think of that. So there's an awful lot of that kind of casual sexism, which may be surprising now, but it's certainly... Um, I actually had a lot of fun writing it. <laughs> um, but it's easier to have fun writing it when you don't experience it anymore yeah. than it would be at the time. Well, I, even among the women, there is a sense that uh, among the... Uh, now, I'm never not quite sure how to pronounce it. The, bro, the broderers. Broderers. The broders, the women who are doing this, the needlepoint, that it's the married women that talk more than the, the single women because they have a higher status. You know, I, I wrote that, and a couple of people who, wrote, who read the book said, who are single women, mm. said that's still the mm. case, that single women just are not listened to in the same way that married women are. And I was really shocked because mm. I thought, because I'm married, so I don't really know. And it, it pains me to think that women who have either chosen not to marry or for whatever reason have not married, that that somehow should have a, an influence on how we listen to them. Yeah, we've come a long way, but there were, I remember you talking about how the feeling of being a little bit nervous walking on your own as a, as a woman on your own from Winchester to Salisbury, it still daunted you, and that really resonated with, with me as well. Yes, and my character, Violet, uh, has a summer holiday where she walks uh, the Clarendon Way between Winchester and Salisbury, and I did it too to make sure I got everything right and, and to get the atmosphere right. And I went with my husband, but there, I had an opportunity just to do it on my own, and, and I thought, oh, no, I don't think I really mm. want to... What would I do if I was in a field, yeah. uh, and a, a cornfield, and ran into a man on his own, which is exactly what happens to Violet. And mm. you would think 80-something years later we would have gotten over that fear, but no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was coming, as, we, as I am from Hampshire Libraries, I was really interested to hear that the impact libraries had had on you as a child. And uh, I'd be, and you still have a connection very much with libraries now, with your your trusteeship of uh, one of the, the British trustees Library. For the British I'm library. a trustee of the British Library, mm. which is like the dream job for me because <laughs> I've I've used the British Library for 30 years and um, for research and writing, and I love it there. And I also have a huge fondness for 
uh, for libraries because I that's how that was the source of books for me when I was growing up. I used to go to the public library in, in Washington D.C. every week and get new books and. I knew the children's librarian very well. I was sort of her pet, and she would set aside <laughs> books for me, and we'd talk books, and um, and that was really important to me, and it, it still is. Mm. Mm. And is that? Do you think now we have to be more active to get children involved in reading than we used to? I think so. There's an awful lot of competition mm. from other devices and games and screens, really. Um, but I think kids still love being read to when they're young, and I think parents have a responsibility to read to them. And we started reading to our son when he was about hmm. two months old. And uh, you know, just the turning of the pages, they get used to it. They get used to having books around. Hmm. And um, kids love having stories told hmm. to them. So I think that, and then, and then that joy when they learn to read and start reading for themselves and they read chapter books, and it's, it's a wonderful feeling. And I think that, we mustn't assume that just because there are games to be played on your iPad, that means that every kid doesn't want to read. I think they do still want to read. We just need to encourage them, partly by adults around them reading. Yeah, because, because it is, we read less, I think. And we tend to read at the end of the day when we're sitting up in bed, when we're on our own and our children don't see us yeah. do it. Mm. Yeah, so after dinner, which I think everyone should eat together, um, I'm very old-fashioned in that mm -hmm. way, and I think it's important to eat together. Maybe instead of watching television or all going onto your devices, you just say, let's all read for half an hour in the living room. It's not that hard to do. My final question is actually probably not something I'd use for the podcast at all, but it's a question I promised my daughter that I would ask, <laughs> which is my daughter's doing A-levels at the moment. She's doing English literature as one of them, and she's doing women in literature, and they get given... Um, as well as their main books they study, some excerpts from important books about women in literature or interesting studies of women in literature. Yeah. And um, one of them was um, The Girl with the Pearl Earring. Oh. And uh, she, was, she had to analyse it and look at the role of women and the position of women and her powerlessness. It was the time when she was having the, her cap removed and having the scarf put on and how she didn't want to be seen with, with her hair uncovered. And we were in having this interesting conversation of, you know, because it was set in the 17th century, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. But obviously written in the 20th, late 20th century. So um, is this, can we look at it from a perspective of how women were their women's roles in that time? Or should we be sort of taking a sort of two steps beyond and seeing it as 20th century perception of 17th century? I think it's impossible not, it's impossible to put aside entirely your 20th century uh, view, 21st century view when you, as a reader. It's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible. But, um, but I think it's important to remember that uh, the the women in that novel um, were lived in the 17th yeah. century and they had 17th century views so they mm. weren't going to question a lot of things and and when this uh, the main character has to take her cap off in front of her employer she really doesn't want to and um, and that's um, that's not a judgment we shouldn't be judging that it's it's what was expected at the time and she genuinely felt that it was taking away her power to remove her cap that she was revealing something to him. It was like taking her clothes off in mm. front of him. Um, and that was a 17th century 
feeling that I don't think we should necessarily judge. Mm. Well, that's really interesting to hear because having six, nine months ago discussed it with my daughter to now hear it from you, right. is a, she'll, be, she'll be very pleased that I asked that. That was a fascinating interview, Kate. She, Tracy's got such a rich voice and I love listening to her talk about her books. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, the, the recording and the quality. You're a bit concerned film, um, recording in that big echoey space, but it actually sounded fantastic. I know, as I said we're, in the interview, we always try and choose a place that's got no echoes at all. And suddenly I was in the choir of Winchester Cathedral, but what a fascinating place to do an interview. And it also meant I had a chance to have a good look around the cathedral's embroidered or rather, as she says, needle-pointed kneelers and cushions, which Tracy talks about so interestingly in the book. I'm sure anyone who reads the book will then be desperate to go and have a look at the, at the cushions of the cathedral. So now it's time for the second part of our podcast. It's our book recommendations from staff here at Ringwood Library. For this episode, we took our book choice theme from our love of libraries. There's a huge fan base of authors who have a strong affection for libraries too, and we're always grateful for their support. They're inspired by libraries as children and then go on to appreciate them even more as published authors, just as Anne Cleves talked about in one of our earlier podcasts. There's a ton of books that have been written which feature libraries and librarians, such as Alan Bennett's The Uncommon Reader, or The Air Affair by Jasper Ford, or The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, which is all about secrets hidden in libraries. And then there's The Book Thief by Marcus Susak. There's also Audrey Niffenegger's book, The Time Traveller's Wife, which centres on a librarian. And Terry Pratchett's uh, Librarian of the Unseen University Library, who appears in almost every one of his Discworld books. And there's a couple of library-themed books which have come out quite recently. Uh, Ali Smith's book, Public Library, was fascinating. And The Library of the Lost and Found by Phaedra Patrick. So we opted for a 2018 novel by Sally Vickers called Actually, the librarian and you'll hear what we thought about the book in the next section of the podcast where Kate talks to Tina and Sue at Ringwood Library about books they recommend. With me today at Ringwood Library are two members of the library team here, Tina Sismi and Sue Shepherd. Tina, I'm going to turn to you first. What is your book selection? Hello Kate, um, my first choice today is um, Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Uh-huh, and it was, it's a kind of 1930s book. It is, it's set around the Great Depression and it's a really touching tale of friendship between two men. Their dream, they have a dream of having their own land and yeah. their own farm, um, but unfortunately uh, one of the gentlemen, whose name is Lenny, um, who is a, a giant of a man but has really this sort of a very childlike attitude, he can get into a lot of trouble. He does have a fixation with something soft. His dream is to um, keep rabbits because he finds the fur so soft. And these two, George and Lenny, yes, they arrive at this farm they work. do yes they do because they have been in um a sort of problem in the previous farm okay. where unfortunately lenny got them into serious trouble and they've had to run from so they have now arrived because they're desperate for work desperate for mm. food um, and they've now arrived at this other farm and um, hoping to start afresh and hoping to save some money so they can follow their dream mm. 
it's quite short. It is. It's, it's a short a, read. It's a really rich read. It is, isn't it? It is. It's the, the depth of it? characters yeah. that you can... They're so tangible. Yeah. And I just... I love the personalities and I mm. love the true friendship between the two yes. men. Yes. George takes the adult role and Lenny is very childlike and you can see how George struggles with that and how he has this caring yeah. and compassion for Lenny he sees him for what he is and he sees how other people misuse him and abuse him in many ways mm. but they're very they are kind of codependent on each other as they well are. to stop they themselves are. being lonely yes. and loneliness figures in all the characters the mm. the particularly the the um the Curly's, wife of, Curly's wife Curly's yes. wife yes. who is the 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 son of the mm. the owner of the farm yeah desperate for wife. attention isn't she and you she? never know her name she's just Curly's that's wife that's right yes and but she, she's quite a character you can form a character of yeah. her coming into the barn and you get this sense of danger when she's around yes. it, because you just know that it spells trouble. And there's a song, strong sense of people's dreams in this as well. Their dreams, not as dreams when they go to sleep, but yes. what they would love to have. A real have. pipe dream, isn't and, it? Uh, yeah, and George and Lenny are just longing to have this Absolutely. Homestead. And for once, it may be that this dream could come about. Yes. And you can feel the excitement rising, mm. that, the, that, that actually this wonderful dream might become a reality. And that is so bittersweet because mm. you always walk this tightrope of just let them fulfill this dream yeah. if they could just fulfill the dream everything would be all right i remember reading in the introduction to the book that john steinbeck was saying that what is the really important theme of this book is that it's all about understanding people yes. and once you understand people mm. then you don't hate them anymore you mm. can understand why mm. they've done what they've mm. done and i think that's why you don't come away depressed this book is is sort of enriching because mm. you do get to understand these two main characters so much that you, you do you can yeah. sense what their dreams what their ambitions yes. their loneliness yes and as a result of that you, mm. you come to these broken characters you do come to like them and understand them and so had, had you come across the book before and um, only through um school days and it, it wasn't yeah. on my syllabus but i remember other year groups studying it for school um what struck me was the american depression years the yeah. fact that life was so hard that the men had no work they had no food they all traveled south towards the area where they thought there would be work but obviously so many of them did that there was mm. no work yeah. no food and there's it's a sense really of, hard there's really a sense hard. of powerlessness yes. about mm. these people as well yes. that they work and work and don't yes. really get anywhere we've been talking about of mice and men by john steinbeck okay so i'm going to turn to you now what book are you going to tell us about I have been reading The Librarian by Sally Vickers. Lots of people say you've got to read this book. There was quite a hype around it, considering we work in a library service um, and it was about a children's library. I was really keen to read it because um, I've read some of Sally Vickers' other books, particularly uh, Miss Garnet's Angel is one of my absolute favourites. Just adore it. So, I, And I was really interested to see what her perspective of a librarian would be. But this is set in the 1950s, isn't it? Yes, it's very much um, travel back in time to the 50s. Um, it evokes all the way through the book a, a feeling of that period where you, you know that those people are 
true characters. You've got the, you know, the busybodies and the neighbours over the fence. You've got everybody knowing everybody's business. So it really evokes the time. <laughs> so it's this young woman, Sylvia. She comes to this small Wiltshire town, uh, East Mole, it's called. Um, and she's heading up the children's section of the library. And I've heard it described as being like the dream novel for people who love books. Yes, because she mentions through her text lots of other famous children's books um, and adult books. So there's a lot, there's a reading list actually at the back. So if you've, you know, been excited by what you've read through in her books, she's given you the list to, I love that, to read yeah. on. Right yeah. And I understand that this book is, although it's fictional, it's based on a librarian that Sally Vickers knew when she was a child. So she's even got the same name as this librarian. I believe because it has been said many times that children's interest in libraries starts often with the children's librarians that they see mm. and get, you know, that she's actually give the, the Lady Sylvia's giving throughout the book ideas for those children to read and read on and she's, she's growing those children in their imaginations. And uh, so Tina, do you, how do you think working in the 1950s library of Sally Vickers time, uh, of, in Sally Vickers book, how do you think that compares with a real library today? Well, I would really like to, to compare notes in a sense that she was so enthusiastic and so positive around um, growing the children's library and encouraging um, getting in contact with her community and trying to get more children to come into the library, which of course exactly is something what we are doing we're today. doing now. Yes. And when we have the children in the library, we love to, to talk to them and encourage them to look at different authors. And so we, we can equate to that excitement. We love that. Um, in terms of the actual character, <laughs> I felt she was, I loved her enthusiasm, but I thought she was very naive. And um, I, well, I guess she is only 26. Yes, yeah. exactly. So she's very young, so we mm. can forgive her for that, really. <laughs> Partly. Yes. I felt the whole ethos of the book was that she wanted to believe that everyone would read and enjoy their books and, and had a purpose and passion for reading. So when she hooks up with her relationship problems mm -hmm. and things start to go you know, wrong for her. The thing that really struck me was that she lost all of her final love and trust in, in the man. When he actually lied to her about saying that he'd read a book and finished it, and she, she realised he hadn't. Yeah. So that for her was the greatest, Absolutely. greatest final straw and disappointment mm. that he actually hadn't finished the book, and he lied that he had so. Yeah. So yeah. that was the end of her quite love right for too. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the book, although I wasn't so keen on some of the characters in it. Some of them I loved, but some of the characters I didn't, wasn't so keen on. I was a bit uncomfortable with the epilogue, which I won't say what happens in the epilogue because I don't want I to give spoilers. But I love the feeling when you get to the end of the book and the, the story finishes and sometimes it's a bit ambiguous and you don't know what's going to happen in their lives but you can kind of flesh it out in your own mind yes. and mm. to so I can see what she was trying to affect mm. that at the end of the book it comes up to present day mm. and that just does give her a chance to talk about the role of libraries in present day lives which was useful Absolutely. but it did mean that you've got a to see what had happened to all these characters. But sadly, not our key characters. Yeah. She well, maybe that was a, the key maybe that was a good thing. She picks on a quite low-level character in the, mm. in the earlier book. Maybe that was so she wasn't ruining the our own imagination. Our imaginations of what had happened next to those people, yeah. yes. Exactly. Absolutely. I think in some books, 
that kind of epilogue does work. I just felt slightly disappointed with the whole book. And actually at the end of it, I, I didn't really feel the need to find out anything more about the characters involved, really. Yeah, I, I um, finished the book thinking, actually, I must try some more of her books. Um, because I've been hearing some really good things about the cleaner of Shard, yes, which sounds yes. really interesting, and I haven't which had that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's something we need to now yes, embrace. So. The and next I think book. this one is quite different to some of her other books. So perhaps by not having such um, enthusiasm for this one, bit of a bumpy read, maybe an alternative book of hers we will have a lot more passion for. We've been talking about The Librarian by Sally Vickers. I'm Kate Price McCarthy and you're listening to the Hampshire Libraries podcast coming today from Ringwood Library. Okay, we're now going to talk about uh, my choice which is uh, The Lido by Libby Page. This book which came out last year, it's a really new book and it's, I couldn't believe, it's actually a debut novel by this, um, oh. by the writer Libby Page. Oh. Uh, she's done phenomenally well because I think there were bidding wars and all sorts oh. for when the book came out and it's now in all sorts of languages where the film rights are out and so on. So and it's been, it has been a kind of big smash bestseller. But what it's about, it's about um, a 26 year old reporter um, called Kate, so another young woman coming to a new town, so quite a similar theme, uh, but this time it's she's coming to Brixton, the area within London, and what she does is she joins forces with an 86-year-old widow called Mary to help save the local Lido, the local um, open-air swimming baths, and she really makes a huge effort to capture the spirit of Brixton. There's loads of vivid description in it of all sorts of bits and pieces of Brixton. And it's got a real sense of um, the value of community and the importance in society of community. Community spaces as well, places like Lido's, open air swimming pools where people hang out in the sunshine, but also about libraries. So yet again, library comes up as an important theme. Uh, the, the, um, the woman in her 80s, Rosemary, she used to work in a library when she was younger, so, and she loves books. But it's also got a really important topic of loneliness. But it's loneliness from two very different perspectives, one of which is the perspective of this 86-year-old woman who's lost her beloved husband, who was her absolute soulmate. And, and then a, perhaps a, a lesser told story about the loneliness that many people in their 20s feel. They've, this character, Kate, she's had all sorts of burning ambitions of being a writer, being a journalist, but she's kind of lost her way a little and she's lost a sort of sense of who she is. Um, now, I believe the author lived in Brixton. She doesn't live there anymore, but she lived in Brixton when she was a student and just, uh, just felt it was a really special diverse area with this very strong community spirit but at the same time this vibrant community is being chipped away at because of the process of gentrification. Mm. Tina what did you think of the, um, the book? Um, I, I quite enjoyed aspects mm -hmm. of it. Um, I, I felt that it had a real pulse. I love the community aspect and Rosemary's belonging and her anchoring and one of the bars, a very vibrant bar that she takes herself to was in fact the old library. And I really liked that link. Um, and the fact that she could, she could trace back her timeline with her husband, George, um, from their young, young, young days mm. um, and her, her life in Brixton and her work and 
And the Lido was linked with every aspect of that, going in as a child. And she spoke, she had some lovely memories of how they leapt into the pool in their raincoats and really, really very lovely anchoring that you could um, sort of follow her story and her yeah. path along. Um, and because of this sad closure of the library, she was desperate for the Lido not to close. And this is, really was her sense of passion. It was such a huge part of her life and she just couldn't face the idea of life without it because it was Another such a link, such a link to George, wasn't it? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And this unusual friendship um, that was struck up between the two, both needing each other for different reasons. And um, it was lovely to see how Kate's relationship and how she grew as a person yes. through her friendship with Rosemary and how her anxiety, she, she learnt to manage her anxiety mm. through that relationship, didn't she? I did um, think, yes, it was... Uh, it was it was a light read, a pleasurable yes, read. It yes. was, you know, all the loose ends were neatly tied up. Yes. Um, in a way that perhaps in real life that doesn't happen. Mm. But it was a pleasure to read and it did give me insight into this I think this so. I think you could really visualise it. Mm. I could really see it. I could mm. imagine what it was like swimming outside in the summer with perhaps with some summer summer rain. I could picture all the ducks on the pool. And so some, there were some real aspects of this that were really beautifully written. Okay, we've been talking about uh, The Lido by Livy Page, which was published uh, in 2018 by Orion. The Librarian by Sally Vickers, also published in 2018 by Penguin. Of Mice and Men, published by, among others, Penguin. All of these are available through Hampshire Libraries and through our free download service, BorrowBox. And if you read any of the books we've talked about today, let us know what you think by clicking the link in our podcast description, where you'll find details of all the books discussed. Thanks for listening to Love Your Library, the Hampshire Libraries podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you want to hear other interviews and book recommendations. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts. We'll always read and respond to any questions or suggestions. And do let us know if you've read and enjoyed any of the books we've talked about. And it would be great if you'd rate and review our podcast on iTunes, as this helps other people to find us. Don't forget to come and see us. You'll always be welcomed, whether you're choosing your next book, taking a course, or getting involved in a community project. The best thing you can do to support your local library is to use it. I'm Kate Price-McCarthy. And I'm Mary Stone. <laughs>